I'm Dana Balut. And I'm Hiba Fisher. And you're listening to El Empire. It went viral. It was everywhere. I used to tell my father, you will see one day, I will make a film and I will go to Cannes. <laughs> I don't know why I say that. I felt insulted. I was like, where is my audience? I didn't go to therapy. I think I should. This is El Empire. Stories of exceptional Arabs around the world and their journey to the top. Today, we have a founder. And actually, Mona is someone I met many years ago in the startup circles in Dubai at a mentoring event for entrepreneurs. Um, and I remember being struck when I first saw her because we were in a room of like a hundred entrepreneurs and she was the only female mentor there. And we've talked about this on the first season of El Empire, how few female-run startups there are globally, particularly in the Middle East. As of 2019, the number of female-run startups in the region that had raised investment, for example, for their companies was 5%. And KC is a part of that 5%. Woo-hoo! Today we're chatting with Mona Ataya. Mona is a serial entrepreneur, first with a company called Bait.com back in 2000, which became the Middle East's leading job search site. And then again in 2011, when she started running Mums World, the biggest online baby store in the Middle East. She's a mom and a badass founder. She's been named Forbes Top 10 Arab Women two years running and Arabian Business's 100 Most Powerful Arabs. So I met Mona at our studio in Dubai early one weekday morning, uh, and we started off the way we always do, with an easy question to check volume levels. Can you tell me what you had for breakfast? Um, this coffee that you see on my left, that's my breakfast. <laughs> oh, I have a chocolate. Would you like no, a chocolate? No, 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 thank you. <laughs> you do always have chocolate in your bag. Always, yeah. There's these almond butter cups. It comes in a purple wrapping, and I always have at least two in my backpack. So let's start with uh, the very beginning. Can you introduce yourself, please? My name is Mona Ataya. I'm the founder and CEO of Mums World. Mums World's the leading mother, baby, and child e-commerce in the Arab world, and today has the largest access to over 2.5 million mothers in the Arab world. We have been um, operating in the Middle East region for the past eight years. That's amazing. And uh, what was your childhood like? You were, you're Palestinian originally, yes. correct? So what was it like growing up in Kuwait to Palestinian parents? So I'm the second of five children. We grew up very close and we grew up with the values that um, at the end of the day, we were Palestinian, uh, we were expats. Um, we had to uh, work hard for what we wanted. We had to show that um, we were contributing uh, positive members of society. And these were kind of the values that we, we grew up with. My father um, was born in Palestine. Uh, he was very young when they moved to Lebanon and he grew up in Lebanon. Um, but he learned from a very young age how to kind of uh, live as uh, as really an expat. Um, my father was an entrepreneur. My grandfather was an entrepreneur. And out of our five siblings, four of us are entrepreneurs. So we kind of grew with these values. The siblings till today are very close. You know, all five of us um, live within a block away from each other. Our children are growing up together. Um, we, we do business together. Uh, so... 
the, the five siblings grew up with this uh, connection um, that we, we are basically um, here for each other and we, we remain that way. And I think as Palestinians and as expats, you, you kind of build that own community. That's so beautiful. That's my mom's dream for us is that we all live in a compound together, but we have yet to achieve that for her, <laughs> but great. I hope so. You mentioned as well that your parents uh, had to leave Palestine at a young age and your grandfather as well. Um, and I've, I've heard you speak about this history of, of reinvention that your family had to had to do. So from Palestine to then Lebanon and then from Lebanon to Kuwait and then, and then you yourself, you had to leave Kuwait to the States. Can you talk a bit about how this history of reinvention might have affected your family and you personally? Any uprooting is never easy. Life is about a constant evolution. Um, you experiences happen, um, situations occur, and it's how you you manage these experiences and how you manage these situations that determines the, your path forward. So when we uh, left Kuwait, um, we uh, reinvented ourselves. We created or we we started a new home, um, and we made the best out of that opportunity. Um, and then from the U.S., which is where we were, moving to Dubai, which has been our home now for you know two decades. Dubai is home. So situations occur um, for a reason and how you grasp it determines um, your your success or not. My father particularly, um, I, I felt was not seriously phased. And, and this is how he's kind of raised us. Um, he said, you know, you're going to get a lot of ups and a lot of downs in your life. And insofar that you can really take them not neutral, but take them with an understanding that this is all part of your journey and just um, uh, do the best you can at that moment, then everything turns out for the better. So although my parents, I'm sure, were saddened by what happened, for them it was, okay, what's next? How did you make your first $100 in life? Okay, that's a great question. Um, how did I make my first $100? My first $100 was made behind chewing gum called Hubba Bubba from the U.S. My father flew to the U.S. He came back with two packs um, each for every for every child, um, two packs of this amazing gum called Hubba Bubba that um, blows the most amazing uh, gigantic uh, balloons. Um, and back then in Kuwait, we didn't have any. We had, you know, chiclets at the time. Um, and I remember opening that, uh, that first box, eating my, my first two or three. And then I took them to school and I realized that my friends were uh, super excited about it. So I started selling them. So that's how I made my first uh, hundred. I don't, I don't think it was actually $100. I think it was more like $10. Um, but that's when I asked my father to pick up some more when he went to the States uh, the next time. And then I realized then that I was uh, quite resourceful in, in making money, that if you get something that's exciting and that's different um, and uh, show it to the right people, that you can actually make some pocket money. That's um, awesome. <laughs> so entrepreneurship runs deep in your family. Did you always want to be an entrepreneur ever since you could remember? Um I do not recall ever thinking, one day I'm going to become an entrepreneur, ever. Um, in fact, as a, as a child, I wanted to be a doctor. When I went to the United States, I went in on the premise that I was going to study in a six-year medical program. Um, so being a doctor was, was that dream of mine. Um, 
when I was in college, um, I took some economics classes and finance classes, and I realized that I had another passion. As, as, as a girl back then, and, you know, the general rule of thumb, and this is uh, perhaps uh, terrible to say, but, you know, um, growing up in the Middle East, um, in, a, in a traditional Middle Eastern family, while my parents had a tremendous, tremendous emphasis on education and contribution, you still had the mom who was saying, you know, don't go down the road of six years or eight years or 12 years of studying, which is what medicine was all about. Why don't you get a degree where you can basically hit the ground running sooner rather than later. Um, So my passion for medicine was not shared in the family. So on on one side, I had um, not very strong endorsement to pursue that. Um, And when when you're pursuing something difficult and you don't have endorsement, it makes it more difficult. That's one. The second is um, I I discovered another passion. I actually, you know, found something where um, I felt that I can contribute uh, faster. Um, And that was really the, the tipping point for me. Was your mom, was the thinking of by the time you graduate, you'll be 30, that you need to get married sooner? Was that the thinking? I I think uh, certainly in the Middle Eastern culture, uh, you know, a a girl eventually ending up getting married with a family is always top of mind Um, in in all cultures, in the Middle Eastern culture particularly. Um, But again, I I emphasize that... um, our parents were always very driven by education and contribution. So never did we uh, hear um, that, you know, you have to graduate and then you have to get married. Rather, you need to work super hard uh, because you need to learn. So you need to have a passion for learning. And when you have a passion for learning, you can continue to uh, to, to contribute to, to this society. So this is kind of how we, we were raised. Well, so when you say contribute, so education was paramount in your household growing up and contribution, what do you, how, how is, what is contribution? Contribution your- is not being idle. Contribution is finding something that you're good at and giving back to, to your uh, ecosystem. So contribution is about giving back what you know positively. Is that something that you pass on to your kids? 100%. I mean, for me, the the biggest point of contention with children, I have three teenagers. Uh, the two older boys are, are hardcore teenagers. I mean, they're 16 years old. Um, for me, seeing uh, anybody sitting idle and, you know, dilly-dallying or, uh, you know, watching TV or playing games. All of that is taking over their times. I mean, for me, that is really painful. It's painful to watch. So Mona graduates with a degree in marketing and finance and then starts her career with Procter & Gamble in the U.S. After, she moves to Switzerland with Johnson & Johnson. She's working on the marketing side of things, building global brands, and really enjoying it. And then her brother, Rabia, calls her. In 2000, that's when you and Rabia, your brother, started Bait.com? Correct. Can you take me back to that first conversation? What, how, how did you guys, how did you come up with the idea? So, um, I was based in uh, Zouk, um, right outside Zurich with Johnson & Johnson, and I was working on probably the best projects of my career. You know, truly I felt that I had actually reached what I wanted out of a career. And one afternoon, my brother called me. My brother is an entrepreneur, and um, as all entrepreneurs do, they're always looking for, for need gaps. What my brother recognized is that a lot of professionals were leaving the region, like me, 
um, and not coming back because they didn't know how to connect with the right opportunities. So connecting job seekers and employers was very, very difficult. Um, if an employer wanted to find the job seeker, they had to put an ad in the newspaper. So he wanted to solve that problem. Internet penetration back then was 2%. Um, so people really weren't online. There was the internet bust. So anybody who was online or had been online had lost a lot of money. So it was actually the worst time to be online. And while the idea was super compelling and I loved it, um, I thought this is a very risky uh, thing for me to do. I shut the phone with uh, Rabia and I thought about it. And I thought about what I wanted for my life. Um, and I recognized that what I wanted is to always be empowered to make the decisions um, that were right for me. So I realized that empowerment was something that as an entrepreneur and doing something that is a passion project would be greater. The other one is I asked, you know, what do I want my legacy to be? Do, you know, if tomorrow I'm gone, what do I want people to, rem to rem uh, remember me by? Although it was very high risk for the reasons I mentioned, um, I recognized that all of the financial freedom that I had as, a, as an employee would disappear. Because as an, as an uh, entrepreneur, you don't make money. Sometimes for years, you don't make money. You actually burn money. And I realized that I was going to walk away from something that I absolutely loved. So that was a very hard decision. But it was a decision I made. And I uh, packed my bags. I, I resigned. I moved back. And I started my, my journey as an entrepreneur. And I never looked back since. And how did you come to that moment of clarity? Whenever I followed my gut instinct, and my gut instinct really does play out almost instantly. My gut was instant. The logic was not. All the reasons not to do it far outweighed the ones to do it. I continued to weigh the pros and cons. And the last tipping point, and this happened maybe three or four months after that initial conversation, um, I wrote down on little pieces of paper um, all the reasons why I should and should not go down this path. And I folded these pieces of paper and I put them in a little hat. It is quite comic, uh, but that is what I did. And I pulled out from this hat and I said, this is going to be, uh, you know, th the right answer for me. So if you believe in kind of destiny or, or luck, this is what I'm going to do. So I put my hand into this hat and I pulled out the answer and the answer was actually a negative answer in that do not do this. And that was actually my turning point to do it. <laughs> you know, no one's going to tell me even a piece of paper that I can't do it. Whatever it was, it was the right tipping point for me. Um, and the rest is history. Oh, yeah. Why is it called bait.com? Ah, that's a great question, actually. That's a great question. It's called bait.com because um, you're helping a person build their life, their home. So it starts with the home. And if you're, if you're able to empower uh, a professional um, to build their home and to build their life, um, the initial tagline of bait in, on day one, which Rabia came up with, was uh, lifestyle engineering. So you're able to basically engineer your life uh, through this platform. So Mona, Rabia, and their founding team launched bait.com, which quickly became and is still to this day the leading job search site in the Middle East and North Africa. 
And it was profitable within the first year, which is a huge feat for a startup. It often takes years to become profitable as a company. Uber, for example, which has been around since 2011 as well, has yet to turn a profit. Do you ever remember having to separate personal and business? So like when you were together as a family, did you talk about work or was there a boundary of like, okay, when we're at dinner all together, if we go out on Friday for brunch, we can't talk about work? So look, uh, work as an entrepreneur, work is your life as well. So I mean, you're building, you're not, as an entrepreneur, you're building something that you're passionate about. So it's part of who we are. So you do not separate, really. Uh, at least we don't. We don't separate. When we meet uh, as um, as an extended family on Fridays for at my mother's house for our Friday breakfast, we're all talking about our uh, you know challenges, our uh, wins, um, how we can support each other, etc. When did you have your your three boys? At, at what point in the bait journey? Sure. Um, so I had my first two boys were twins. Twin boys are fraternal twins. Um, I took two years off completely to be nothing but a mother. So I took all of my energy, all of my passion um, to just basically uh, raise them for the first two years. I, I hear that the hardest thing about stepping back from being an entrepreneur to raising uh, your kids full time is the intellectual stimulation. Was that ever something that and then you were really excited within two years to go back to, to, to be intellectually stimulated has to come from your from yourself. And I am by nature always um, an avid learner. I love to discover and learn. On the contrary, I think the the years when my children were were, were babies were years that I was looking at the world in a different way was I, I was learning or relearning um, uh, about everything. So I would take them um, to the beach, for example, I would put a towel, I'd lay them on their back, and we'd look up at the sky, and we'd talk about the clouds. And then I would, again, they're, you know, they're two. So keep in mind, they're still very young, they don't understand 90% of what I'm saying, but it's all going in. And I would then go and I would research, okay, so how do clouds form? Why is the, why is the sky blue? Why are the clouds white? And I would be researching and learning and teaching them. So kind of relearning um, as a child and with the fascination of a child, um, I would wake up. So they were twins. So twins, you know, don't sleep much. Um, I didn't sleep much. So at 5.36, um, you're up with your children. You need to be creative. Otherwise, it's going to be difficult. So I really did resort to being a little child. And that was amazing. And I look at my uh, my boys today, and they have an instilled um, trait of curiosity and still create a trait of resourcefulness. And I really believe it goes back to these early days where we made um, everything from anything. When Mona went back to work after taking some time off to raise her two boys, she started thinking about her second startup, what would become Mom's World, the largest online baby store in the Middle East. Basically, anything you need for your kid. Diapers, toys, vitamins, a community of other moms to talk to, experts to ask advice from. That's mom's world. So how, how did we get from uh, working at Bates still to launching mom's world? Fast forward when, when the boys arrived, that journey of motherhood proved to be very, very difficult. So although I was loving every moment and um, enjoying the adventure with them, it was difficult. 
but you recognize that whatever you do, whatever you say, whatever you mirror, your children ultimately are going to absorb it like sponges and they are um, they are an outcome of you. <laughs> so your faults or fears as a parent ultimately are not going to happen in a vacuum. They're going to come out in your children. So you have to be the best version of yourself. So what children really do is children force you to become a better version of yourself. So if you are impatient, you're forced to become patient. If you shout, you're forced to be calm. But because the risk is high, so unlike a business, you know, you might fail, you fail fast, you learn and you figure it out, you might lose some money, so what, you get it right the next time, it doesn't matter. You know, everything can be solved in business. But with your children, you make some radical mistakes, you know, it will come back to haunt you in, in future. That's at least my perspective. So this difficulty where I had to be a better version of myself and constantly teach myself and I ordered and, and read at least at least 100 books, if not more. In 2011, this difficult journey did not end. I was in constant state of how do I be the best mom I can be? And I realized that I was missing a lot of things as a mother that were, that were preventing me from being the best version of myself. One of them is access to quality products. Um, there wasn't the choice in the market. And the choice in the market was actually um, not at the level and the standard that I wanted for my children. So I was ending up uh, searching online on global sites, spending a fortune shipping them to town. Um, the second problem is information. Um, you know, as a mother, you're in constant search for information. What do I do? How do I do it? When do I do it? Etc. And this information, the regional information did not exist. So um, yes, while mother global information is relevant, there has to be regional specific information, um, whether it's about where to take them or about the strollers that actually fit in the sand of the desert, etc. Um, so information was lacking. Um, Arabic information, by the way, was non-existent. In July of 2011, I actually, as a as an entrepreneur, I put pen to paper and I said, if only, if only there was a place that I could go to as a mother that I could find the largest choice, objective, uh, objective choice, not something that a store or a, a seller wants to sell me, but objective choice where I can search, I can compare, and I can buy myself, not someone pushing products on me, but I want the widest choice. And it's no surprise that the region was much more expensive than the world. So a product that I would buy in uh, in Dubai was on average 50, 60, sometimes up to 100% more than, than global sites. I had twins. I was overwhelmed all the time. I didn't know how to feed them together. I didn't know if they should be sleeping on the same bed. I didn't know if um, if they, you know, if their fighting when they were one year old was normal or not normal. If only there was a community that I can tap into to really support me and help me, that did not exist. If only I knew where to go or, or what I wanted accessible at all times so I didn't have to try to figure it out. Um, and that's really where the seed was sown for Mom's World. Mom's World was conceptualized as a brand that would empower mothers like me to make the most informed decisions for their children and give the mother control and confidence that she feels that she's doing the best for her children. 
since you had a proven track record as an entrepreneur? Was it, did that make it easier to raise money? So I was never involved in the fundraising for Bait. Um, with Mom's World, the fundraising was new and I had to learn. If I, if I had any hesitation, that was uh, squashed by the fact that I was able to raise seed capital super, super, super fast. I wrote the business plan. I shared it with uh, Rabia um, just as an FYI. And he was excited. And he said, you know, if you launch this, I'll be a seed investor. And then the rest was history. Mona recruited a friend to help with business development, and her younger brother, another brother, joined as co-founders. But while Mom's World's first round of fundraising was super easy for them, growing an e-commerce company requires ongoing investment, especially in its first years. And by 2014, which is kind of a funny thing to say today looking around at all the tech companies, but even six years ago, investors in the Arab world were skeptical that e-commerce was a viable business to invest in. So when Mom's World needed to raise money again, their second round was much harder. So they were looking at the horizon, thinking that they're going to have to keep on investing. So that was not positive. They didn't believe that e-commerce was going to continue to grow. They were questioning whether the region's e-commerce ecosystem would would continue to expand. So there were a lot of questions. Um, perhaps me also as a as a woman and as a mother of three um, added a few questions as well. I mean, that was raised in a few of the meetings where I was asked, uh, who takes care of your children? Um, I was asked. How do you juggle being a mother um, and, and being an entrepreneur? I was asked if the customers of Mom's World were my friends. I got what, all sorts of questions. What would you say to res- in response? Yeah, so I mean, these again, um, it, it comes with the territory. It, it's irrelevant for me. Uh, what was relevant for me was having a business that had very, very strong fundamentals that spoke for itself. Um, but the, the challenge was we found ourselves... Um, coming very, very, very close to, you know, being cash starved. That was a very scary period. I remember, you know, coming home at times and telling, you know, my my husband and my children that I was actually scared. When you're coming to a time when you're, you're not moving as fast as you need to be, th- there is fear in that. Then... Um, how, did you, how did you get through that? Yeah, so you you take each day, you take each day as it comes and you wake up saying today I'm going to do my best to get closer to the finish line and you figure it out and you do things differently today than you did yesterday. Um, We had many, many people close the door in our face and like I said, all kinds of answers. E-commerce is not, is a trend that's going to die. E-commerce in the ecosystem is irrelevant. Um, You're a mom, you won't have time. We've, we heard it all. I called at the time a very renowned and respected entrepreneur who's Fadi Ghandour, who I admire and I respect uh, a lot. Um, and I called him for advice. Um, and that meeting basically very quickly turned into, you have a fantastic business. I love what you're doing. We'll invest. Once you have a lead investor, everybody follows. So we were able then to close the round um, at just short of $8 million. What did you do to celebrate? I breathed. (laughs) I celebrated by breathing. (laughs) That's how you celebrate. (laughs) So to date, you've raised 50 million U.S. dollars. Is that right? So um, uh, we we don't disclose how much we've raised. uh, Because frankly, yeah, yeah. (laughs) we... we, 
we don't disclose how much we've raised um, for the same reason why I don't disclose how much money I have sitting in my bank. What is next for Mums World? So Mums World is today in hyper growth mode. So growth is 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 still uh, aggressive. Um, expansion, regional expansion. So Saudi today is our biggest market, um, and it's growing at incredible uh, speeds. Um, but anchoring our leadership in the GCC um, and moving to the North African market um, and see what opportunities are in, 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 in expansion beyond that as well. So that's very important. We have over 2.5 million mothers who engage in our community. Uh, we, um, we engage with experts uh, to support mothers. Um, our choice of products. Today, we have uh, over 20,000 exclusive products on Mom's World. And we have our own uh, brands. I think um, the success of Mums World comes from addressing a key, important, relevant consumer need and constantly driving ourselves to do that better than someone else, more uniquely, and giving moms unique solutions, that's what uh, has attributed, to really get into the psychographics of the regional mother and understanding that mother in Riyadh, in Khubar, in Dammam, what does she really want? What are her pain points? The mother in, in, in Ras al-Khaimah and Fujairah, um, that's what has been our driver of success. I've read, I think, in some other interviews, you say that at certain times you were, you were working 365 days a year, seven days a week. What do you do to balance? Is there a balance? Can there be a balance? I think working nonstop or working seven-day weeks, working long stretches is not a good thing. It's not. It's not healthy mentally, it's not healthy physically, it's not mentally, emotionally, something's got to give. So each, I have to uh, reconcile this balance and make sure that if I am working very long stretches, I have to be very conscious that I don't burn out, that I pull back and do things that will uh, support me and, and, and um, rest me, rest, give me the, the rest that I need. Um, this week, for example, I am running at a thousand miles an hour at work. Um, that means that my focus and my time with my children this week has been compromised. It has. So I haven't, uh, I didn't go to my son's rugby game. I didn't go to my other uh, boys' uh, class talk. I just wasn't, I didn't have the hours in the day to do that. Um, yet they understand. But because I had this balance shift this week to the commitments at work, next week I have to reshift. It's not easy. It's not for everyone. What's your favorite thing to do with your kids? Um, lots of things. Um, we, we, in general, love spending time together. So on the weekends, we always have a um, weekend evenings out where we go have uh, dinner and we play games, you know, uh, mind games and get to know you better games. Um, so we, we love to do that. Uh, music is also uh, rampant in our household. Uh, all my children play uh, multiple instruments. I play instruments. So we always have music in the house. Um, this is something that, that we love and it inspires all of us. What, what instrument do you play? I play the piano. Um, my youngest plays the piano and the trumpet, and my older play the piano and the saxophone. That's so beautiful. I love the saxophone and the yes, piano. Yes, it is beautiful, <laughs> the saxophone. <laughs> this episode was produced by Tamara Rasamni, Alex Atak, Heba Fisher, and myself, Dana Balut. 
Sound design by Mohamed Khrezat and fact-checking by Zena Duwader. Our original sting was composed by Ramzi Bashur and El Empire is produced by the Kerning Cultures Network. And if you're liking El Empire, please subscribe to the show so you'll never miss an episode. Also, leave us a rating and a review on whatever podcast app you're listening to us from. Be honest, but also give us a little love. It really helps boost our ranking so that other listeners can find us on the podcast libraries. And next week on El Empire? I pull one or two all-nighters a week still until 4, 5, 6 in the morning in my office, which is just a couple of hundred meters away from BO18. And I love it. I love it when at 1 or 2 in the morning, in the complete silence of this area that still has not been revived, I hear boom, 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 the, you know, the bass. That's in one week. Thanks for listening, guys. Take care. <laughs>